You're listening to Stop Digging. In this month's episode, we interviewed two musicians to talk about the relationship dynamics that exist within bands and other creative organizations. You'll be hearing some of their music, and if you want to hear more, links will be provided in the show notes. And now, here's the episode. I'm your host, Nancy Trader. Welcome to the Stop Digging Podcast, where we'll help you dig out of whatever hole you're in. Here, you can connect with experts to listen and learn from their experience and get advice for your challenges in business, wellness organizations, and relationships. Here, you can borrow from others and find what you need to create the life and work you want. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next episode of the Stop Digging Podcast. I'm Nancy Trader. I'm here with Susan, and Susan and I are going to be talking about a new topic. It's relationships. We all want them, but we might not be able to handle them. It depends on where you are in your life, you know, whether you have a relationship with your significant other or a volunteer group at work or organization that you're in. There's always something we can do to improve our relationship skills. So Susan, tell us a little something about uh, relationships. Well, I'd like to. (laughs) So here's the thing. Today, I'm really excited that we're going to be talking about a very specific kind of complex relationship, and that's relationships in bands, creative relationships. And I wanted to, as usual, bring in some research as to why it's relevant in context of our communities and our society. So I'm going to be referencing Science Direct, Volume 96, came out this year, February 2023. And it's a study they did on 28 musicians in the London area, particularly looking at formal and informal relationships and how that plays into their careers and their mental health. And it's significant because there are complex relationships in the music world because the economic relationships are often also intimate personal relationships. And you also have the issue with family and close significant others and the intimate relationship with your economic partners in your band. So they overlap, they're interconnected, they're complex, and it takes super high levels of management skills to navigate that. There are two findings in this report. One, that financial and mismatched expectations play a huge role in the relationships that they form, and also the boundary issues that they have to deal with when having to navigate feelings of hurt and depression, primarily because it completely affects the mental health and well-being about how they feel about themselves as people and the people around them. And so it it truly does affect them. And it's not necessarily diagnosed, but it's how it affects how they view themselves, their music, their work, and the relationships in the world that they live in. So many times we see musicians that are self-diagnosing themselves with depression or anxiety, stress, and they're also self-medicating. So there's a huge push in the music industry right now about mental health. And this skill of relationship management is super important. And so I'm going to really kick it over to you, Nancy, and have you really talk with these two musician people that we have here that I'm really excited to have. And so why don't you tell us who's here and let's welcome them to the show. So today we have with us Jay Abwan and Paul Mata. And Paul is uh, joining us from New Mexico. And Jay is in studio with Susan. Welcome. And thank you for taking the time to come in and and chat with us about relationships, because we want to learn more about this and you have these unique situations. But you know, before we start, every superhero and villain has an origin story. And so I'd like to know, what is your origin story? What got you to where you are today? And let's start with Paul. Hello, everybody. Hi, Nancy. Hi, Susan. Thanks again. Jay, good to meet you. Likewise, sir. Well, you know, it, it's an interesting question. You know, music has always been, it was so great to be a teenager in the 80s for starters. 
because we had the best music. <laughs> You know, Susan's a classmate of mine and just started at Santa Fe High School, uh, graduated in 1987, went out to Denver, joined an automotive college, started working for Chevrolet. Music was always along with the ride with me. Everywhere I'd go, I'd take my guitars wherever I went. Music was always just part of the ride. I did get married in 92. I uh, got divorced in 2007, but we had two amazing kids and we stayed amazing friends as well. And uh, we're still friends to this date. You know, now I have a nice repair shop here in the sticks here in Pecos. I play for two bands, which is wonderful. Uh, you know, our genres are kind of totally different, but I enjoy just about every type of music out there. So I, I live a very busy life between my basketball league, between my, my fiance, still spending time with my kids, the band, uh, work, try to sneak a few golf tournaments in every now and then. So I've, I've gone to the point now in my life, now at 54, which I just turned 54 two weeks ago, I'm happy where things are at. I couldn't be happier. It didn't get worse. It got better. So I, I'm pretty fortunate to say that and uh, in a great place, uh, making some wedding plans here pretty soon. Going to be retiring from the automotive industry in about another year, year and a half, and then uh, going to do probably music a lot more full time. Well, that that's a lot, Paul. And and on top of that, you own the business. You're, you're a partner in the business. You have your own business. So that's a lot of relationships that you just threw at us right now. <laughs> volunteer work, your own business, significant other, new significant other, mm -hmm. kids, two bands. And I, I know you mentioned at one point in the past, you actually were in a mariachi band, I think, for a while, right? That was in my uh, 20s. Yeah, so that was quite a, quite, quite a ways back. Your 20s still count. <laughs> yeah. you know, when other people ask, I'm still 29 and holding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just because you can't remember your 20s, they still count. Paul. <laughs> Happy birthday. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, you know, so when I say two bands, it's a little bit more dynamic than that. We're actually the same band with two different bad names, and, and we do two different genres. You know, we're so good at the rock stuff, but, you know, times, the way the music scene in New Mexico works there's not a lot of venues requesting the rock and roll that we did, you know, in the 90s. So now they want country variety. So we jumped on board with that and we formed a different name and we changed our genre. So we can we can be one band one day and we could be another band the other day. It's kind of it's quite fun. What are the names of your bands, if you don't mind my asking? My rock band is Midlife Crisis, which is kind of funny. <laughs> I love funny, that. But yeah, there's a funny story behind that. You remember Harold, right, Susan? I do, yes. Yeah, when we first started practicing in this band uh, 15 years ago, he walked into my shop that I had in Santa Fe, and we're all in there warming up. And he goes, what, is everybody in this place having a midlife crisis or what? <laughs> so, boom, it's stuck. Yes, yes, we are. <laughs> and then my, my country band is a dead man's hand. <laughs> That's even better. You're moving from midlife crisis to death. I'm a little concerned about you, Paul. Well, you know <laughs> It's the story behind Dead Man's Hand with Wyatt Earp. We, we actually were going to use the name Durango, but Dead Man's Hand had a better logo. Our lead singer put up a logo with the cards and the guns, and that was it. <laughs> so we stuck with that name. Oh, great. Well, that's a great story. And so, Jay, how did you get here? Um, I've been playing, just like Paul, I've been playing music pretty much as, as long as I can remember. Music has always been an outlet that I've had all my life. Of course, I had a day job as well and trying to figure out where I was going to go, what in type of uh, work that I was going to do. So uh, I did really well in school. I, I had full ambition to to study science when I was in uh, college, but I'm an artist and, you know, being such, it was my calling. So regardless of how many science classes I took, art was always something that I gravitated to. I fell into tattooing in my early 20s, and that passion just took off. Um, started tattooing at the early age of 22. I had the opportunity of tattooing, learning from a lot of well-known tattooers now. Eventually, I opened up my own studio in the city of Whittier. And what's cool about being your own boss is you have a lot of, you make your own schedule. So 
music has always been therapeutic for me. So it was always something that I needed to do on a regular basis just for my mental health, just so I can you know, continue living a healthier lifestyle, I guess you can say. So music was definitely uh, therapy for me. I played in different kinds of music. I, I played in different styles. I've been in different projects from rock bands to rap, punk bands and stuff. When I was younger, I was highly influenced by, by rap because of the demographic that I grew up. And then when I moved to another area, and it was actually the high desert in Victorville, it was predominantly rock that I got really influenced in. And then that group of people just showed me a different style of music that I just fell in love with as well. But when I moved back down to the L.A. area, you know, I decided to take on DJing because I was just getting frustrated at one point to be collaborating with with different people. And just the goals were not the same as far as what we should be doing with the project. So just being tired of being in different projects, I just decided to just, you know, do music on my own. And so that's where the next phase in my music life kind of started, where I would just write my music. And the fact that I was a lyricist, first and foremost, you know, when you go through your daily struggles in life, you write about, at least I did. So that became the poetry and that became the music that I, I sing. I started DJing because it was very challenging for me to to work with different projects that I felt that, I don't know, we, we weren't going in the right direction. So just me being, doing my own music was my thing. So with DJing too, is the fact that like it became another source of income. So when I was in college, it was a great way to not just be in the party scene, but also make money uh, at the same time. So it was great. So from there, I actually started like linking up with other rappers and other DJs and so I gravitated then into like making beats and then rapping over that. So that became the beginning of like my hip hop career, I guess you can say. So, um, yeah, that was that. So, like I said, music has always been a thing for me where, you know, I've, I've worked with and, and played with different musicians. And we're talking about relationships because every project or band, there's a different dynamic that goes on there whether it's, you know, you deal with a prima donna or, or just a, a group that just jives together and the, and the dynamic in that is so great where the creative juices just flows naturally and it's not being forced. So I've, I've worked with those kinds of musicians and stuff. So. so you've seen how it works and also how it doesn't work. Yes. Yeah. Now what totally. is the name of your band right now? So the project that I'm in right now, it's, it's a punk band it's called fix the blame established in 2016 that's a great name yeah yeah <laughs> you both are very creative with your names right so both of you talked about you've got a long history in music and a lot of the other things you do i'm often astounded by when people have this passion you know it's this lifelong passion and how you know you continue to follow it even as your life changes and you, you go through the ebbs and flows of things and I'm wondering, you know, you, so you just kind of told us about your history, but who inspired you? Jay, who, who inspired you to do this? You know, just being so open-minded to different genres of music, you are inspired by a lot of things, whether it's just walk of life or just musicians that you see at the park. But when I was in high school, I would say the new metal scene is what really got me into really performing live on stage. And these bands were like the Deftones, Korn, you know, even the harder bands like Sepultura and, and Metallica and, and those kind of bands is what really wanted me to be more of a front man and just, just rock the stage with the mic and, and stuff like that. So those were the initial bands that really really encouraged me and made it okay for me to express myself because their their topic uh, or their 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 songs were something that I related to because I was a very emo kid when I was young and their their songs were just just that right when it came to like stage presence I was more gravitated to the stage presence of Billy Joe from Green Day I think by far and this is arguable, obviously, 
but in my in my opinion, he's one of the best front men that there is. You know, it's just it's just interesting to just watch this short. I mean, I mean, he's a short guy. Just you can't get your eyes off of him because he's just interesting to watch. And so, you know, knowing that I it really made me think about how I would be when I'm on stage. So the stage presence is definitely something that I really, really worked at because it was very important as a fan when I would watch shows. That's definitely something that I would look at is, are you just playing the music just to get through it? Or are you actually feeling it? And, and are you projecting it in a way where it's where it shows in your in your stage presence? Do you love what you're doing or you're just going through the song? And you're just like standing there. So those are things that I really, really paid attention to as a young musician, like studying musicians. So, yeah, those were some of the influences that I had. That's really great. I want to jump over to Paul here. Now, Paul, you've been doing music, I think, a little bit longer than uh, Jay. (laughs) If you could tell me who or what inspired you in the beginning, and then let's talk a little bit about how, how the relationships start working over these long stretches. Well, uh, like Jay stated, that that's a a broad question. There's so many people out there who inspire you when you, when you love music. But, you know, the short answer is it started with my grandfather who would come over and play guitar and he would just, I'd sit there as a kid and watch him. And that was always a, a fun thing to, to do. So I, I, he would teach me chords. And so I learned that. And then as I got into middle school and high school, you know, there was so many bands that would come and go and some of them inspired me. Some of them were just, you know, but when I moved to Denver, my cousin was uh, in a band and I would go see him there in Denver. And I was just amazed at the attention they would get on stage and just the hype of the show, the hype of the lights, the merchandise sales, whatever. So he was a big influence on me too, my cousin Thomas. And so it's fun to watch him. But when I moved back to New Mexico, got married, I worked with a guy by the name of Gary Gorenz. And uh, he was in a band and he was actually the warranty clerk for Chevrolet. <laughs> we both worked at the same dealership. And he invited me to one of his concerts. It was at a place called Conchas Lake. And after the show, I told him, that's just amazing. I, one day I want to try that. And he says, well, why don't you learn this song? And you get up on my next show and, and get on stage with us. So I did that. I learned that song. And I got up there and I did the song in front of about 120 people. And that was it. I was hooked. Hooked. And so he's been a big influence on me. You know, he taught me a lot of the, he's older. He's on tour right now, as a matter of fact. He's, he just finished his fifth CD. He was always a big influence on me because he was uh, picking his brain on the do's and don'ts of being in a band were invaluable to me because I didn't have to make a lot of the mistakes that some people do. I was actually kind of groomed and, and taught what to do and what not to do from his experiences. So that helped me along the way. So he was probably my number one. And again, there's other musicians out there. I can name a thousand of them that, that inspire me. Gary Moore. You know, guitar. I mean, there's there's tons of them, but but that's that's about the short answer. So tell me a little bit, like relationship wise. You, you said this. You had this mentor who kind of showed you the ropes. Mm-hmm. How how did that play out as you you know developed as a musician and then you started forming your own bands? How did that mentorship and those insights work for you? And also and also if I don't if you don't mind me interrupting, also the complexity of the fact that you actually work together in a job as well. I mean that. That to me is intriguing because where does the band end where you're being mentored versus being in the band playing versus we're at work? Yeah. How does that work? Well, the good news on that on that front, Susan, was uh, in a dealership. It's such a huge dealership. He was in the warranty office up front where the sales department were. I'm way on the other side of the 10 acres where the shop's at. So we had to work for the same company, but we were about a mile apart on the dealership. Okay, space helps. I'm hearing that. Him and I were never in a band together. He just, when I go jam with him, he has a cabin up the Pecos Canyon, up there right next to the river. And just in just in talking with him, you know, he would say, if you're going to do this, I told him I want to start a band. And, you know, so he would just give me insights, you know, things things like, you know, it's fun. You know, you get to have, you get to drink while you're playing, but you always have to be careful with how much you drink. You don't. Take too much in on the hype of the crowd because the crowd's enjoying you, but they're enjoying the guitar. It's not you as the person, you know, and uh, so things of that nature. And you're going to get good nights. You're going to get bad nights. And you're always going to make mistakes on stage. Play through it. You'll, you'll be fine. I'm sure Jake can attest to this. <laughs> 
you know. I don't think I've ever played a song thoroughly like I killed that one. There's always like I I, I missed that note again. Okay, as a fan, as a fan, I'm just shocked. I mean, <laughs> you've just destroyed the image for me. The anticipation of a guitar solo coming up in 45 seconds is enough to drive a person crazy. And you worked on it for two weeks before this show to get it perfect. And you start going through it, and sure enough, you miss a scale, you miss a note, you know, you flip one, whatever the case may be. It's never, almost never perfect. But what I did, what Gary used to always tell me, and I'm sure, again, Jake can attest to this, no one in the crowd knows. Yeah. Maybe no. one or two people knew yeah. Well, you until, now. <laughs> yeah. until now. Until <laughs> now. But live music is just that. It's live. So it's not, you're not listening to a CD. So there's all sorts of variations. If the crowd's into that song, you know, if you have a good front man, like Jay was saying, you know, that front man's going to know, well, well, the crowd's really feeding off this song. So we're going to go ahead. He's going to turn on and go like that. And we're going to extend that song another four bars just to keep the crowd going on that one specific song. You know, so there's a lot of dynamics that change on stage like that. Definitely. Yeah. And uh, you have to kind of be prepared for that. And you have to know that mistakes are going to happen. Yeah. Sometimes a piece of equipment's going to fail. My worst is a broken guitar string, but, you know, you know, but I have extra guitars in the back for that now. And, uh, you just play through. You just play through it and, and, and learn to enjoy it. Because if you're having the fun, wow. sometimes you play to five people, sometimes you play to 500 people. You know, you got to have the same mindset for both crowds. Right. Yeah, you, you brought up a really good point about when you're in a band, you're part of an ensemble. And not only are you having to listen to one another as you're playing, but you're communicating with your body language and you're, you're signaling one another by looking at them, glancing over at them. And, you know, you have to have a much deeper sense of communication because you're anticipating a lot. And if you ever run into a situation where like someone didn't understand, uh, you know, and either one of you can answer this, but did you have a time where there was someone who just couldn't communicate with you? Uh, one of the things we practice during rehearsals is just keep going. In any time that you mess up you just gotta keep going even if you have to go mute for a little bit and just move your fingers around and dance around just keep going don't show the crowd that there was a hiccup paul said earlier you know one of the, the worst thing you can do is break a string i had a show a couple of weeks ago and that exactly what just happened so um a little story really quick that day i had this gut feeling uh, something was going to happen so i'm like okay i got to do everything that i can to prepare myself so i had two of my guitars ready i restrung my strings and i was stretching them and uh, when we rehearsed prior to the show i noticed that my my workhorse the guitar that i always use it would get out of tune every song so i'm like oh boy so that's nerve wracking. So I'm just like, okay, so every, um, I'm warming up the strings. So I go to the venue and I realize halfway going there, I forgot one of my guitars. Great. Okay. So I get to the venue, we go through the song, third song in exactly what I, you know, the worst thing that can happen, happened. My uh, low E string broke. Thank goodness. I had a, a friend that was a roadie that came with us and I, I signaled him and it's one of those things, okay, now what do you do? You, you got to improvise. You can't just let, you know, you can't just be like, okay, that's pretty much it, you know. Uh, so I gave my guitar to, to my friend. And because I had a background in hip hop, I told my, my rhythm section, my bass and my drummer to play something. And then I started just reciting my raps. So about three, four minutes into that, I realized that the, the crowd was a little bit more engaging with my raps at that point to where when everybody was now attentive, then that's when my guitar came back on and we went right next and we went right back to the, you know, where we left off. It was the worst thing that could happen. But it's again, again, it's if it's, uh, you know, you definitely have to learn how to improvise. And the only way you learn how to do that is just through rehearsals over and over and just anticipating the worst. And God forbid, if something does happen, everybody already knows what to do. Well, I love how you talked about having a support staff. Like we call them roadies and we all have, yeah. you know, kind of movie ideas of what right. that looks like. But but the band themselves, they also have people supporting them. Right. And it, it could be family. Right, right. Right. But it could be 
people that are friends right. who just are there to help out to put it an E string on a guitar. Right. And or I think, whatever. I think they're just as, as important as the, the guys in the band. Uh, I mean, if it wasn't for that gentleman, I, I would have had to, well, I, I would have had to ask for another guitar, which is embarrassing from the next band performing and stuff. But. Well, that, that reminds me of uh, just in my own personal life, my boys are in uh, a high school marching band and we have to support all these kids that are going to be on the field and during, you know, halftime and, with their in their competitions and as parents we have to run in sometimes i'm like oh my gosh like his, you know his reed broke get another reed like oh, right before you go on stage like there was this one competition before they rolled onto the field ours one of our uh marimbas fell apart and i was just dying <laughs> as they're putting it all together and they got it and they rolled right onto the field oh my gosh it's just like your heart is just, you know, in your throat the whole time. And yeah. so, so now just, I'm thinking that you're a roadie. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. You've yeah. suddenly gotten a whole Lovely. lot cooler in my right. eyes. Oh, thank but, you. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but that's true. I mean, the, the, the relationships of the people who are supporting you, but also something, if I can just backtrack a little bit, Paul, you mentioned something about the fans, you know, remembering that the fans are there for the music. So when they start acting like they're interested in you as a person, that can be very ego building. Ego, right, right. And, definitely. and maybe, right. yeah, yeah, I am sexy. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? All> right. <laughs> I mean, that, and, and you could, uh, you could really get your heart broken or mess with your existence, your life, your music, just by, by falling into some of those traps. What do you do to to counter that or to balance some of those relationships with fans, with supporters, you know, whether they're roadies or um, venues or connections that you have. Well, you know, you just, you got to read the crowd and you can tell if it's a tourist crowd, if it's a local crowd, if it's people you never played before, you know, cause like we go up and play in Red River for motorcycle runs. So I'm not going to know any of those people. So if people are being cool to me, they're, you know, I just have the mindset that they're, they're enjoying the musicians, not me personally. And, you know, you got to kind of check that at the door, you know, because there are egotistical musicians out there. I'm sure, Jay, you've met a hundred of them. I know I have. And uh, fortunately, I never fell into that uh, that abyss because, like I said, I always had the mentorship of Gary to to guide me through some of those things. And, of course, I, I never really was in a band until my mid-30s. All the other times before, I was just a guest guitarist or that. But you're right. When I was a guest guitarist, boy, my ego was up there when people were clapping and doing things like that. But of course, you know, in your 20s, you're a lot younger, not as mature. But uh, you, you, it's, it's, it's just checking your ego at the door, Susan. You just you walk in there. You have to remember you're doing a job. You have to do your parts. You have to study your parts. You have to rehearse until you hate the song. That way, you know, when you hate the song, that means that you're ready to play it. And like Jay said, you know, rehearsal is everything. So you practice to that. And all of all of my guys, including myself, are family men. You know, we got kids, you know. You know, so we, we're not playing to get famous. That's not in our mindset. We just want to have fun and we want to entertain the best possible way we can. And if possible, make a few bucks on the side on the way, <laughs> which is hard to do. Jay will attest to this. We play for free. We get paid to move equipment. <laughs> yeah, no, you, you got to do it for the love of it because there's no money into it. And and yeah, every time before I go up on stage, I literally ask myself, "What do I do this to myself?" Because I mean, your heart is is thumping harder than ever before, especially if you're you know in the front of the band or if you see that the crowd is quite large and you're like, "Okay, we're up next." Um, but to answer your question as well is that, you know, the relationships that you have with these promoters are very, very important because they're the ones that will get you the next gig later on. So everything from arriving there on time to even just just watching your conduct after the show, because there's times where, you know, some bandmates or some people just they just can't control their substance and they have made the whole band look bad. To where now they're not going to get hired the next time. So those are things that we had to keep in mind as well. Of course, the ego thing had to be on check. Some people can't handle it and you, you see that. So it's up to us to really check each other. And so before we depart after the day, we we usually have uh, meetings after the show 
uh, before we go to the house party or the after party, whatnot, we will go to go somewhere, whether it's in a car or whatever, and just just talk. I'm a very spiritual guy, so I, I tend to pray as a group before we go on stage, and then we pray after. And then after that, I, I open the floor to the guys and, and see what they thought about their performances. And it's, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, it's great what we do. And then, yeah, you, you definitely feel like a rock star, especially when you're getting the love from the, you know, from, from the crowd. So how do you hold somebody accountable who, who maybe in your band isn't pulling their weight? who maybe is showing some conduct issues or some maturity issues or some ego issues or, you know, what, how do you do deal with that? Yeah. So, you know, when those issues rise up, you just definitely, you don't hold them accountable right there. And then there's a time and place for everything. We're all grown adults, unless of course they're being belligerent and they're harming themselves or others, then you got to step in. But if it's something that happened on stage, then we'll address it in the next meeting and then I'll probably have a phone call with them um, and see what's going on. So if it's a technical issue where he's not getting the music or she's not getting the music, then I'll have to question, you know, are you studying? Are you are you practicing the music, uh, you know, after rehearsals? Because you just don't practice during rehearsals. You got to practice every day because if not, you're, you're going to forget the material. So that's the first thing I'll definitely ask. If it's a conduct issue, then I definitely will pull him to the side after a show and and tell him, hey, you 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 know, this is the way you've been acting. We need to chill with the substance, or like you know, go ahead and, and drink after our performance. Hello, friends. Thanks for listening. A squared lamp groups powers this podcast. Their memberships are tax-deductible donations that directly support their work developing people and organizations. But just for you, they're offering podcast listeners a special 40% off coupon code to join. Your benefits as a member include additional resources, perks, and access that you can use all year, including an additional 30 minutes of bonus podcast content for every episode. Simply use the code 4LISTENERS at checkout. That's the number 4 all caps, listeners, at checkout. They also are giving our listeners free gifts to use now. Go to their website, asquaredlamps.org forward slash podcast, and download your free My Success Course of Action worksheet. There is no cost, registration, or sales pitch involved. Just click it and save. Use it to work on something significant to you this month, maybe even something that sparks interest from today's podcast. Then click to join our free but private Stop Digging podcast LinkedIn group, where the conversation continues between you, the hosts, and our guests. Don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. And now, back to the program. Have, have both of you had to replace band members because of issues? Like he was saying, you know, practice is everything. You can't just show up for rehearsal play with the band, you have to take the material home and you have to force yourself to learn it. You have to make the time. And if you don't make the time, then it's going to show. Your bandmates are going to see it. They're going to they're gonna tell during the song that you were prepared. That to me is, is something that can hopefully be fixed with a conversation or a, or a band meeting. But like, like you said, also, you know, the behavioral issue, we've never had an issue with that, fortunately, in our band. However, our first lead singer, though, however, had an ego problem. And in our band, we're kind of, every, everyone's in charge. We don't have a band leader, per se. We're, we're very democratic, and uh, we, we just, we all have our input. If there's an issue, we all talk about it at practice. We shake hands, and then we play the music. Leonard's problem was he would mess with the sound during a show. And Jay, you know how much of a no-no that is, you know, especially if there's a sound guy. When the sound guy sets your sound and you're ready to play, you don't touch your, your amplifiers because he already mixed you the way he wants. Now, whether you agree with how he mixed you or not is irrelevant. You can't change that because he's the sound guy. You know, but Leonard would always go up and turn his amp up. And then he'd be louder than everybody else because he wanted to be heard more than anybody else. So we had meetings with him about that, and he claimed that that wasn't the case at all, that he just can't hear himself. So we bought him a bigger mm-hmm. monitor, and the bigger monitor didn't work. So we bought him earpieces, and the earpieces you know, and at that point, we all decided, okay, it's his ego. And then he started joining other bands behind our backs, 
And we found out about that, and we were supposed to play for an event at the boxcar, and he somehow weaseled the other band into the spot and took our spot. Jeez. And that's when I was done. Yeah. I, I am the founder of the Midlife Crisis Band, me and another drummer, but he, he left Lante's a music teacher, so he just got in for the fun of it. He left and said, it's all yours. So I fired him on the spot. I fired him on the yeah. spot. I said, I'm done with you. Get your stuff. Get out of the Get out of here. I said, you know, there's 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 there's, there's a line you don't cross. And he crossed it. Yeah, that was not cool. Yeah. No, it's not cool because there was people that are expecting to see our band. And he, he weaseled his other band into it. And for years, he's tried to talk to me about it. And I just don't have anything to say or desire to find out what his reasons are because I don't care. Once you cross a specific line, like in relationships, there are certain lines that you cross that you can't come back from. And that was one of them. Yeah, that speaks to boundaries, you know, having having some clear boundaries among band members. Now, I'm not familiar with how every band is formed. Jay, is yours also democratic in the sense that everybody has an equal say? Or are you kind of the boss of the band that you founded? It's kind of both. When when I formed the band back in 2016, the, the music was already composed. So... When I hired the musicians in, I did auditions for each job. And it's just a three pieces. So I was looking for a bass. I was actually looking for a guitar player. And I, my, my instrument is actually the bass guitar. So it, it was very, very challenging to find a guitar player. So I'm like, well, I play guitar. I'll just go ahead and play guitar. And then I came across a bass player. So I, I hired him. And then I eventually hired my drummer. So the first album it's like 11 songs so we had to rehearse those once we finished those then uh we start started doing shows and stuff now we're at the point to where we're actually writing now so there's you know there's a different dynamic to that as well after we go through re rehearsals we we throw up the floor for any new ideas whether it's the drummer putting in a new you know if he has a song or if the bass player has a song and then we build off of that. And then we, we jam on that, so to speak. And then the next rehearsals, whoever wrote the riff or, you know, the initial parts will elaborate on that later on. Then uh, that's how we just work on the music. So, yeah. So to answer your question, it's kind of like both. Yeah. But I'm the one that has the final say. So, so I, cause I got to make sure that everybody is acting accordingly. You know what I'm saying? So anything that happens in the band, I'm the one that's held accountable so it's I, I got to make sure that the guys are on point. So, so I think that's actually a really good format because even though we all have a, a say equally on stage, there should be a band leader, and and it should be the front man, and the front because there it's 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 the way the industry works. You got to have a guy on stage calling the shots. If he's going to call an audible, if he's going to call extend the song, whatever's going to happen, because if he's reading the crowd. You know, it's his job. He's the lead singer. He's the one and he's engaged with the crowd. Right. We get to run right. around and play our instruments and have fun. So it's very important for that position of his to to be recognized. Definitely. Like, like you stated, because, again, on stage, you know, things change. Things happen. There's always unforeseen circumstances that you that you somewhat have to be prepared for. And somebody has to take that yeah. role to say, okay, guys, we're going to skip this song. You know, my top E string broke, so I'm going to get out the drop D and we're going to play some Godsmack for a while, you know, until we figure out right, how we're going right. to our figs or something to that effect. So it is important to have a leadership role on stage. And uh, I just, you know, when I, when I said we are democratic like that, you know, I wanted to also add to what Jay said too. It's very important to have somebody in that leadership role because it's, it's, it's just the dynamic of a band and it's, and it's important to have them. And, and our guy, Isaac is amazing. <laughs> It's so interesting, uh, you know, the, both of you are founders or managing your bands, and you've talked about a lot of different things. You know, the things that I'm remembering are the fact that you, you know, you talk about having boundaries and then the consequences and how you have to deal with that. And by having really good communication with all the members in your band, not just, you know, spoken communication, but then to your point, Paul, about having the leader when you're on stage performing, that person is in charge during the performance. So there's, there's this very interesting and intricate dynamic going on all the time. It's that like, it's very improvisational, uh, situational, and you all have to be adaptable. And 
overcome <laughs> yeah. often. And, and I just, I just think that it's a level of communication based on your relationships that most people don't experience. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's very true. You know, it, communication during rehearsal is invaluable. We have to all be on the same page when it comes to what we're doing. And like Jay stated, yeah, we love to, but somebody wants to bring in our bass player, Michael, wanted to sing some songs on the countryside. And he worked his butt off and he prepared. He was in his garage every day after work with his bass and his microphone stand singing away. And he prepared himself. So he sang three songs on our last gig and he did fantastic. I couldn't believe it. I was so happy for him and proud of him. So the relationships, like, like Jay stated, it's so important to have everybody's input. Because when you're a musician, you always have that one song you've been sitting on for years. You always have that one lick in your head that you've always wanted to do something with. There's that one song you've always wanted to cover that you've never covered, you know, things of that nature. And we're fortunate enough to be on stage to be able to do that. That's what we talk about a lot in our rehearsals and our band meetings is that we're fortunate. We're very, very fortunate to be what we're doing, what we're doing. Again, you don't make a lot of money. You don't get into this to make money. You spend more money on, on equipment. But it's so much fun and just the just the energy you get off of a good show in the crowd and then playing with your guys, your bros on stage, high-fiving after a song went together perfectly. It's worth every pain that Jay mentioned that you go through to get to that point because it's, it, it, it's worth it at the end if you do everything the right way. Yeah, it's worth it. And, you know, it, in order for you to get there and, you know, you, how successful you, your band is and just – and and success isn't isn't graded by the financial means. It's actually more of like what is accomplished, making music, making magic, the the camaraderie that you have, even as going as high five. That to me is very very successful. Just having fun on stage and just the, how the crowd reacts to your music in a positive way. To me, that's success. But it wasn't roses and, and clear skies all the time. I mean, I've, I've played in different bands to where I've learned these hard lessons myself. I've worked with musicians that were prima donnas and they just they would veto every idea that I had to where I'm just like, I'm just going to shut my mouth. So when you get to that or when you work in that type of setting, you know, you just become very limited when it comes to your productivity. So you're just playing the notes and that makes you even more tighter, not tighter in a good way. And in a sense where you're, it, it shows on stage. So how you feel, if you're not feeling it with your band, it definitely projects on stage. And if it projects on stage, obviously the crowd can feel that. So if the dynamic and the, and the, uh, the, the energy in the band isn't where it needs to be, the, the crowd will feel that. So learning from those kind of mistakes uh, when it was time for me to start my own band, I really needed to make sure that the dynamic was where it needed to be. And, you know, Paul made um, part of his story. He said about the gentleman in his band that went behind his back and started, you know, playing in different bands. I was in a band one time where, and I was naive back then. I wrote my own music. I was rapping as well. So I was, I had my other projects going on. And I got fired from from the band that I was playing with because they found out that I was playing music. And I was like, yo, that's that was something that really, really affected me. I didn't go behind their back. I was really open about it. In fact, me being a, not just a musician, but an artist, it was very I, I felt very restricted when I was in that type of relationship. So when in my band, I encouraged the guys in my band to, hey, dude, if you guys want to, you know, if you guys want to play in another band, have at it, let your hair down. But just let me know. Just just, you know, let's all be in upfront about everything. The moment you start hiding stuff or if like like what Paul said, if you're in the same bill as our band, bro, we're going to have a conversation because that's right. not cool. But if you were in the upfront about it, like this is a project that I'm working on, I'm like, hey, dude, if there's anything I can do to help you guys. I'll be of service as well, just as long as you communicate that to me. Because as an artist, I like to express myself differently with different types of genres, whether it's hip-hop, punk, rock, or even country. So those are things that I encourage and encourage my bandmates to be, you know, be creative in their own rights, whatever access, you know, whatever type of uh, artistic flow that they're going through, have at it. Because when I get restricted, it's just the worst. So I, I have one last question because you, you both talked about, you know, the struggles of what it's like when a band isn't working, what it's like when everything is clicking. And 
you also talked about how you're not in it for the money, but you also have to take the time to practice. And so my question is, what does that do for your families? Mm-hmm. All this time that you're you're spending, you know, and how does it affect them? If everything's going great with your band, is everything at home okay? And if it's not, what do you do to adjust? And if something's not going right with your band, do you bring that home? Is it affecting your relationships at home? I'd like to take this one, Jay, if you don't mind. Because this, this is kind of personal to me because my, my ex-wife, on a little on a personal note, didn't support any music, any music that I did. She didn't like it. She mm-hmm. didn't want anything to do with it. She wouldn't, she wouldn't, when I'd learn a song, she wasn't, she could care less. That was part of the reason that never worked out. So having someone in your life that supports what you do is very important. And mm-hmm. I have someone like that now. And very supportive of, of what I do, very supportive of, how, of what it takes. The practicing time, the the hauling time, the you know, when you're in a committed relationship, that person should support you 100. percent Just like when she does her things, I got to support that 100. percent Right. And so it's very important. And then uh, my kids, they grew up listening to dad, listening to Metallica, Iron Maiden. They're metalheads. They love it. Now that they're old enough to see me, they love it. They absolutely love it. I, I just love the fact that my kids took my my, my taste of music, and uh, my you know my daughter's twenty nine and my my son's twenty two, and uh, they they just love their music. And uh, my son's quite a guitar player as well. He plays marimba. He's real good. But uh, it, it doesn't affect me in that aspect anymore, Susan, because fortunately I have the support. Now I do get tired, you know, because some gigs are weeknights. I'm sure Jake can attest to that. Some gigs you you can't turn a gig down. You can never pick and choose gigs. If you're offered an opportunity to play, then you go play. You know, unless it's something ridiculous. Some promoters, like he had mentioned about promoters, you have to have a tight relationship with them. So there are some out there who will want you to play for free, and sometimes that's just not a thing you can do because it just costs you so much money and fuel and time to go play for free. There's no such thing as exposure. you got to treat bands with respect. If you're going to have them, pay them. I know you're like, not a lot of money, but at least pay them something. Give them the door, or whatever. So again, like I said, you know, back back to uh, to the relationships at home. I'm, I'm fortunate in that aspect. There's a word we haven't used yet, Jay. I'm sure you're gonna agree with me on this one. Is we finally got that chemistry on stage. I can almost read Isaac's mind with just his way he moves, his fingers, and the way he nods. I already know what he's talking about, and it and that comes with time. Not something you learn overnight. And then the other thing I wanted to touch on, too, what you said, Jay, is you're absolutely right about that. In the music community, you have to support each other. You have to support the other bands out of there. Shout out their names. Help them take their stuff off stage. Help them. You know, support each other. You want to go play in another band? Go. As long as it doesn't affect what we're doing, go express yeah. yourself. Go. It's just the behind-the-back stuff that, that was a problem for us. But, you know, our lead singer, Isaac, he has his Isaac Duran music. He's in another Spanish band. He's got several projects, but we have our calendars and our and our blackboard, whiteboard, eraser board, excuse me, in the garage where we practice, and all of our schedules are up there. You know, it's all about communication, so it doesn't affect. As far as to finish your question, Susan, you know, I'm fortunate in that aspect. It, I don't I don't have to deal with coming home to uh, a problem with me being in the band or coming home at three in the morning or you know or staying in a, in a city at a hotel six whatever. Not a problem. Now the support thing is very, very important, and I've I've been in in bands where the bands have broken up because of the significant others, and it's unfortunate, especially if you got some a lot of things going on. Unfortunately, if, if a girlfriend is insecure about you know her boyfriend playing or whatever the case is, and it just affects the whole relationship, it's annoying. And that was one of the reasons why I decided to play music by myself for a while. And it was because of that. It was just the relationships that they had with their significant other. That was just, you know, it was it was uh, bleeding into our project and stuff. And that was another thing that I, I really needed to make sure with the guys was like, what is it? Why are you playing this music? One of the reasons, and I said this earlier, is that me playing music is therapeutic. It's my medicine. And we made that clear one time when I told the guys, you know what, let's go ahead and hold off on rehearsals for now. Let's go ahead and and pick up rehearsals again once uh, I start booking some shows. After a month, we started text because we're on in a a group text and we're like, 
we should jam. <laughs> and I was like, we should. And so after we, uh, we decided to practice and, you know, one of the comments that was made was, oh, I needed that. I'm like, yeah, dude, I needed that too. So it was definitely something that we look forward to every week, even if it's just for a couple hours to detach, disconnect from our daily lives and, you know, whatever that is, and just concentrate on just, you know, the energy that's being circulated in the rehearsal room. But yeah, to answer your question, the support group is highly imperative. And, you know, thank goodness, my family's very supportive. They help the kids also play music as well. So they were, uh, you know, I was very influential to their music and their art, you know. So my kids grew up around music. My kids grew up in the tattoo studio and stuff like that. So what's interesting is funny and funny is that, you know, we try to deviate away from our what my parent, what our parents do. And that was like totally the case with me as well. Like a lot, you know, I have four kids and my kids, they don't want nothing to do with art. <laughs> it's like, cause, and my clients would like ask them like, are you going to tattoo just like your dad? And they're like, no. <laughs> and I was like, why not? <laughs> cause it's like the best thing ever. But to them, they're like, yeah, no, I'm good. Oh my gosh. That reminds me of something. Someone asked my son, you going to be a photographer like your mom when you grow up? No, I want to make money. <laughs> That's funny. I want to be a starving artist like my mom, depending on dad. But it's it's the passion. Yeah. <laughs> this has been a great conversation. I just, you know, listening to you talk about your experiences and how well-versed you are in understanding the intricacies of your relationships and, you know, hearing all these different little stories. Just want to kind of, the last couple minutes we were talking about some things like, I really loved what you had to say, Jay, about success. And, you know, I think that as artists and creatives, it's the passion that drives a lot of people. And, and you talk about the feelings that you get when you're on stage and that moment of zen that you experience or the the high you get when you're connecting with the audience and that's so so crucial and critical to what you do that chemistry but the other thing that i really appreciated was and you didn't really say it but it's it's the level of professionalism that has to happen amongst the members of the organization so that you can all have that loyalty that trust and ultimately that balance in your life and you all just really explain that so, so well and really appreciate you sharing your experience with us today. Thank you for listening to the Stop Digging Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. Please like, subscribe, and share with a friend, and connect with us on our social media channels. This podcast is powered by asquaredlamps.org.